Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. Got Chuck Nice with me. Chuck, baby. Hey, Neil, what's happening? All right, all right. Today's going to be Cosmic Queries. And you know what the subject is okay. going to be? Oh, my. This is a good subject. This is a good subject. Okay. It's your, okay. your brain on movies. Your brain on movies. Okay, now I remember the commercials where my brain was in a skillet. Oh, I remember that one. Your, your brain this on is drugs. Your brain, and this is your brain on breakfast. Yeah, Chuck, how, um, how old are you? Uh, yeah, no. I, I, that commercial was 1971 I, or something. I don't know. No, uh, no way. <laughs> no way. That, I think that was the 90s. Yeah, man. they took a fried egg and dropped it into a very yeah, hot skillet. The, this is your brain on drugs. And every time I saw it, I was like, and now I'm hungry. <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm just hungry. I just want breakfast now. Well, this is a brain episode, and we don't do brain things without our uh, uh, brain brainiac at large, Heather Berlin. Heather, welcome back to Star Talk. Hey, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Brainiac All right. at excellent, large. Excellent. That's going to be my new subheading. Oh. Dr. Heather Brewer. Brain Brainiac. <laughs> at large. Yeah, and so you're a neuroscientist at the Icon School of Medicine in Mount Sinai and right here in New York City. So it's great to have you back for the, for the gazillionth time. We love the brain as a subject, and especially since I don't have any expertise, I get to learn something for every one of these episodes. So that's part of, part of why we love you as a guest, because I, I get to learn. And so, but first, let me, let me start off with some questions. Um, there are a subset of movies that uh, that specialize in unusual things going on in people's brains, right? And and some of them are just really smart people, all right? And they become the subject of it. But there's also what's going on in the brain of the person watching the movie. And uh, it's, it seems to be more than just entertainment. Sometimes extra changes are going on in people's heads. And one of the biggest ones that people always ask about is, do violent movies make you violent? Do they desensitize you? Or do you, can you distinguish between fiction violence and actual violence? And if you do, then what's everybody complaining about? And if you can't, why isn't all of that been outlawed, you know, 100 years ago? Mm. Good question. Um, there's actually, there have been some, <laughs> some neuroimaging studies which look at what happens in people's brains when they're looking, when they're watching violent videos, let's say a riot or somebody getting be beating up, and they compare it to when they're viewing a natural scene. And what they find is actually when they're viewing 
violence images, they get decreased activation of parts of their prefrontal cortex. If it was the scene of an actual riot or one that was, you know, created with um, actors, uh, most of the time it won't make a difference in terms of that decreased activation in the prefrontal cortex. Because the more engrossed you are in a film, and there are other measures that can look at level of engrossment, the more you perceive that as, as your reality. And so it can decrease your prefrontal cortex activation. And in turn, you might be more prone toward either impulsive or violent behavior for a short period of time after you've watched that film. Uh, so now what happens if you're looking at the nature scene and um, you, you just feel like uh, killing flowers? <laughs> <laughs> or, or, then, what, then what's, what's that mean? Or, or trouncing on the grasses. Or, of the <laughs> Right. You just, you just want to stomp dandelions. You know what I mean? I think we have, a, we have a different sense of killing plants than we do of killing animals. But, sure. but here's what's really interesting. I mean, there are measures. So there's something, I mean, there's a whole field now called neurocinematics, which is basically the study of what your brain looks like when, you know, you're watching film. And one of the big measures they look at is something called um, intersubject correlation. So it's not what areas of the brain are active in your particular brain, per se, when you're watching a film, but they'll look across many subjects all watching the same film. And the level at which their brain activation syncs up is a measure of how engrossing that film is, how much it's able to capture your attention. And films vary in their ability to do this. So for example, the highest um, intersubject correlation in, in this study was Alfred Hitchcock film. So he was a master at using cinematography and all the sound and light to grab people's attention and draw them in and play them like a, like a violin. Whereas other films... Um, less so, like compared to a Larry David episode, for example, which is more sort of naturalistic. Right. <laughs> it was like, there's yeah, less right. intersubject correlation. Yeah. There was an analysis just right into playing into exactly what you said, Heather. I watched the, an analysis of a Hitchcock film. Forgive me, I don't remember which, but somebody is walking down the stairs of this home with a glass of milk, which has poison in it, and they're going to feed the glass of milk to the person and kill them. And your eye goes straight to the milk. And I don't learn until this is analyzed by the, by the, you know, the reviewers that Alfred Hitchcock put a light bulb inside the glass of milk, which gave it a kind of a glow. But you just see it as white. It's, milk is white, so it's just white. But it caught your attention. And you're not even thinking that it's glowing. You're just thinking it's milk. But so he was really right in there to do this. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And also he was very good at um, creating uh, the tension necessary to grab your gaze. So in Psycho, you never saw her get stabbed. It just didn't happen. You know, for all you knew, uh, she had a bloody nose because you never saw a knife go into her, you know. And then I forget the other one where there's a bomb under the table. <laughs> and the whole idea is, you know there's a bomb under the table, but the people don't know there's a bomb under the table. So you're now feeling the anxiety as if you were sitting at the table, but you can't tell these people there's a bomb there. Like, get up, get out, you but, know. But here's the thing. So, it's that suspense it, is what draws people. Because once the sort of surprise happens or, you know, the, the, the guy jumps out from behind the closet— it's kind of, it's over. Then you just have this full like fear response. 
but the buildup is uh, what draws it. That's your feargasm. That was your feargasm. Okay, for those who love it. Okay. But it's the buildup yeah, that's the now. real, you know, that, that's what draws you in. Uh, What's going to happen? When is it going to happen? Where should I look? And they also have done eye tracking studies. So on certain films, you know, you, you look across many subjects and they're all concentrated at looking at the same places on the screen. But when you have them, they compared it to, for example, looking at a natural scene in like Washington Square Park, just natural footage, and people are looking in all other directions. But just because eye gaze is at a certain place doesn't mean that the brains are synced up. So you have to look at both behavior, which is eye gaze, and brain activation, because there's parts of the brain that have to do with self-referential. So they do it for commercials too. They're using now brain scans to make good commercials. And they and they find that they, they want to create, they'll test different videos. The ones that activate the amygdala, which is the kind of emotional center of the brain, and these parts of the prefrontal cortex that have to do with um, per, your personal story that are self-referential. So the more that the images or the story re, can you can reflect and refers to something in your own history, the more um, emotionally emo attached you'll be to it. So these are the kinds of ways they're trying to structure, for example, commercials and also film. You know, film is more engrossing yeah. when you can relate now, but, to it. Uh, okay, but wait one second here. Isn't isn't doesn't there have to be a a diminishing return on that? Like the more you manipulate me the less I'm able to be manipulated because, like, you're toying with my emotions, kind mm -hmm. of. And so I'm not going to keep giving you that same emotional response. Well, why not? When you see, Why not? Because, okay, think of it this way. When you go to the puppy store, you're like, oh, my God, these puppies, puppies. Right, but, but, if you, but, but if you work at the puppy store, you say, get, the, right, get, the, get these you. smelly puppies there out of here. There you go. Okay. Right. Now you're like, F these puppies. So here's the thing. <laughs> these poop crapping, all, these poop, crapping poop, all over the place. Poop machine puppies, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, right? right? They stank, stank, stank ass puppies <laughs> all over the place. I can't stand puppies. You know what I like? I like dogs because they get the hell out my store. <laughs> um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not like a steady stream of emotional manip manipulation. So if you think of, for example, even a Hitchcock movie or or any suspense movie. It's not suspense the whole time. Then you would, your brain would habituate and it would get boring. It's build up, build up, surprise. And then like mundane, mundane, and then another suspenseful moment. So with commercials, they can vary. You know, it's not that the whole time you're being emotionally manipulated. It might just be at the end or, you know, interspersed with other things. So as long as you can vary it, Right and change it up a bit. You'll keep being activated by the by the emotions. Like, but if you were to see, you know, those animal rescue commercials which kill me with the animals in the cages. But if you were to see one commercial like that Hi. after the other, after the other, after the other, I'm Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> <laughs> Won't you please help? <laughs> These animals need you so much. <laughs> um, yes, yes. So we can, anyway, the, the point is, as we're using neuroimaging um, to help filmmakers, we're also, you know, it's also being used in, in the advertising industry as well um, to create more engrossing commercials. Uh, so it's where science meets, you know, the arts in, in another way. Right, now you 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 throw this term around very glibly, and I just want to make sure we're on the same page. When you say prefrontal cortex, mm -hmm. th is, is this larger in humans than in other mammals? Mm -hmm. Ooh, nice. Well, okay, so it's relative. So the relative size of the prefrontal cortex compared to the rest of the brain, um, it, humans have the largest prefrontal cortex compared to the rest of the brain than other animals. But if you think of it, like a whale. 
objectively, it has a larger prefrontal cortex than a human. But the ratio, so compared to the rest of the brain, we have the largest prefrontal cortex compared to the rest of the brain. And and the prefrontal cortex does what for us, specifically? Many things. I mean, it's my favorite part of the brain. Um, (laughs) Uh, By the way, by the way, the hippocampus just called and said, screw you too. (laughs) We broke up a long time ago. So your prefrontal cortex what precisely does that do for us as humans? Right. So it's my favorite part of the brain because it's involved in so many things, one of which is impulse control, how to both regulate our emotions, control our impulses, um, decision-making, organization. We call it, it's the executive function. It's the executor of the brain. Um, and, and So a it lot enables of the, civilization to exist. Basically, yes. I've it. often said that. Without the prefrontal yeah. cortex, there would be no civilization. We would just be busy having our immediate rewards and not thinking about building or creating a future or anything like that. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, there are other animals that have societies as well. Do they have developed prefrontal cortexes? I mean, other other great apes actually have mm-hmm. hierarchies. They have social constructs. Yeah. They have means of communication. Yeah. They have tasks that they all uh, kind of allocate to one another and position. But Chuck, they don't have trains, planes, and automobiles, and you know, and and skyscrapers. And, and, <laughs> and wouldn't it be funny if they if they actually thought of that and said, you know what, one day that's going to lead us to a place where we destroy ourselves <laughs> and the planet. But then there's something really cool. There's something called the Dunbar number. So it's because it's created by someone, a researcher named Dunbar. But basically. If you look at... Oh, I thought it was created by somebody named Number. Dunbar. Dunbar. (laughs) Yeah, Dunbar. That's good, Chuck, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. okay. I'm sorry, Heather. You you had to... You walked into that. That was good. That was good. Um, Dunbar Number, created by somebody named Number. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Um... So there, there, there is a direct correlation between relative size of the prefrontal cortex to the rest of the brain and the the scale of the society. So you can tell how many. Yeah. So so the larger the societies of, of you know that work, the larger the prefrontal cortex. Humans have the largest, and as you go down with the great apes and and other species the sizes of their society directly correlate to the size of their prefrontal cortex. So there's something about wow. you know social interactions, but there's also thinking about the future, right. being able to plan for the future and so yeah, without our prefrontal cortex there would be no society. So so there are no there are no shrimp sitting around going I wonder if there is indeed a night sky. <laughs> no content. <laughs> but why, also, why am I so lonely? Why am I so lonely? Where are the other shrimp? How come no one ever talks to me? And why am I here? What, what is, is my mission? Yes. Why am I, what is my purpose <laughs> right. as a shrimp? But what is the meaning of shrimpdom? <laughs> Wait, so, so that means almost everything you've described in the prefrontal cortex is an interaction point in a movie that you sit down and watch. Well, that's interesting. No, no, I say that because it, you can't really show a movie to a dog, right? They're not, they're not, they're not interested, even though they, they're recognizable Wait, not people. Not even Lady in the Tramp. Mm. No, no, <laughs> they're mean, recognizable they people. They're recognizable scenes. They're, but they're not, they're not going to interact mentally the way we are because it's a mental thing. Meaning out of it, so they're not going to extract meaning. I mean, you can show an animal, a dog, a, a, a video of other dogs, and it will be, you know. It'll grab its attention and it'll it'll be attracted to it. It right. will watch it even. But to then extrapolate meaning or how is this reference to me, you know, self-referential, um, they're not other species aren't gonna have that. I mean, I met a dog once that jumped up and barked anytime I saw a dog on the TV, and that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the it's dog real I grew up too. with didn't 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 care about the TV. 
It's also a dumb thing. <laughs> I mean, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right? <laughs> yeah, I, the dog I had was pretty smart growing up. Right. So she did not bark at, didn't stare at herself in the mirror. You know, it was like. Right. Okay, so Heather, we know, Chuck and I know that you are, you're a mind reader. Okay, you, you attach electrodes to whoever walks within 10 feet of you, and then you study this. So it's one thing to just say there's, there's activation in one part of the brain or the other. We get that. But what's this I hear that recently you can ca- actually reconstruct the thoughts rather mm-hmm. than just say where the thought is happening? That's a whole other level of getting inside somebody's head. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so so yeah. we're at the early stages now. So so basically you would you would feed you would have someone in a scanner, you would show them a picture say of a, you know, a shoe or a cat and you would get this pattern of activation based on these like voxels, like the little pixels that that you can read as an image. And then you fed this into this algorithm, this computer algorithm. And then To be what, clear, a voxel is a three-dimensional pixel. Yes. Isn't that correct? I'm, I'm pretty yes. sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is a, yes. 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 So, so based mm-hmm. on this sort of, let's just say, you know, this this data of, of what the brain is doing when it's seeing a particular image, um, then you can um, show a person a different image, and the give that information to the computer, and based on 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 feeding it many many other images that you know a person might see, it can predict what image you're looking at. So it can predict based or, on your or brain interpret. It, it, interpret. It can interpret. It can what, interpret. Yes. I, I would say yeah. identify. Well, identify. identify. Yes, yes. It would identify mm-hmm. the, the, the image you're looking at based on the feedback that it's receiving from yeah. you. After you give all the information to it, it then looks at you and determines what you're looking at. Yeah. Okay. It makes and with I'm shapes say, and everything. You know, it, shapes. It makes its best its best guess at what you are looking at. How how accurate though? How, how you say early stages, but how how well is it performing? This, a high degree of accuracy. This process. It's a high degree of accuracy. Okay, I wanted so, to give, give yeah. you a number, but I don't okay. have a number offhand. But very high degree of accuracy. Maybe okay, like it doesn't 80%. make a difference. You got you yeah. guys always. You, you just you're never satisfied, are you? Right. right? No. <laughs> you're never satisfied. I mean, so, first come up with artificial intelligence. Now, now you're gonna let machines be able to read our minds, okay? <laughs> I mean, with, okay, and then on top of that, okay, let me just say this: uh, I feel sorry for your husband. Um, I know him very well. Okay, he's married to a woman who says, "What are you thinking?" And he goes, "Nothing." And she's like, "No, I'm gonna find out." <laughs> I'm gonna find I'll out right now. What the hell tonight. you thinking? I'm gonna yeah, find exactly. out. Right, that's right. Yeah, don't worry. When you go to sleep, we're gonna find out what you were thinking. <laughs> Speaking of which, speaking of which, actually, so there's been studies that have done that. This was a paper that was published in Science um, where they woke up people at different stages of sleep and they would say, what were you, um, they were in the scanner. So they were imaging their brain at the time and they would ask them to report what they were seeing, what they were dreaming about. And again, the the computer algorithm could predict, predict with very high accuracy for example, that they, they the, the computer would spit out, let's say, an image of a person or a key or a chair. And the person would say, um, you know, I was having this dream about this person and there was like a key on the chair or whatever. It would correlate with what the algorithm, oh right? So right. now you can start right. to read dreams and they do, and they've done it now with images. So they've had people watching films and 
and the and the the the, the computer basically constructs a, a video based on what it thinks you're seeing based on your brain activation which really mm-hmm. it's amazing you can go online and see this this these images that really look like the actual film they're seeing it's fuzzy and it's not you know it's not a clear image yeah. but it's a fuzzy like moving object right. that's moving in a similar pattern as to what the person is seeing so again i say early stages because yeah. it's not this exact um it's 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 very fuzzy but as time goes on, it's going to get clearer and clearer. Um, and and I think, hey, could you yeah. could you identify that monster that was always chasing me as a kid in my dreams? <laughs> I'll have to send it to the algorithm. <laughs> they'll, they'll print out a picture. <laughs> yeah. The algorithm. The, the algorithm. algorithm is now Freddy. Yeah. Krueger. <laughs> <laughs> the Freddy Krueger algorithm. That's. What I mean, what's going to be really cool, yeah. honestly, that you mentioned that Neil is that ultimately we can combine that with other techniques that we're using to like kind of zap out um, fearful memories. And they're, if with neural oh, wow. implants, with or neural implants, them at least, yeah. yeah, you can then see, oh, this person's having a type of brain activation which suggests it's a scary monster coming into the dream and then do a little, you know, zap and just, you know, change the scene. Uh, yeah, that right. ultimately. Yeah, all, all of my images would basically come back uh, not as visuals, but as um, a wah-wah guitar going, wow, down, wow, so. <laughs> <laughs> the auditory cortex. No, but plus you have to be careful because if you if you zap the part where it's a monster chasing you, it could turn it into like a like a, a, a bunny rabbit chasing you. You know, uh, <laughs> now you're scared of suddenly you wake up and you're totally afraid of. Bunny. Yeah, I mean, once you start messing right. around exactly. with the hardware, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's true. You need to be yeah, careful. Yeah, yeah. yeah, at some level, we are we we're getting to the point where it's going to be something like you know, minority report, perhaps, you know, not that you can predict the future, but that you can kind of read people's brain activity and see what they were thinking at a particular time. Um, And if you're, Mm -hmm. if you can record that information, you know, you can see whether a person might've committed a crime or so forth. So, I mean, it can be used in all sorts of ways. So it's something we have to think about. That was one of the great, Mm -hmm. the minority report, one of the great brain movies when you think about it that way. And of course, half the episodes of the Netflix series, Black Mirror involved the brain behaving yes. just like a, a, a disk of data that you can upload yes. and download and alter and and so great series. Th- so what a great series. It was, was. And if if Heather continues as she is, she will be the black mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She will be. <laughs> we'll yeah, take a quick break. Side. We'll take a quick break. When we come <laughs> this is a cosmic queries. When we come back, we're gonna pick up questions from our uh, loyal Patreon members, and Chuck has them all lined up. When Star Talk continues. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. 
And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, CosmicMugs.com. Cosmic Mugs, art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back, Star Talk, your brain on movies with Heather Berlin. And of course, I got Chuck Nice here. Uh, Heather, how do we find you on social media? Heather underscore Berlin on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget the underscore, oh, which I know you love, Neil. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> underscore is like the lamest thing right. that could ever be in a in a handle, but we'll 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 accept it. Thank you. Uh, before we go to questions, let me ask a quick. Um, I'm I am while I find them entertaining, there's an absence of plausibility that concerns me. Anytime it's one of these movies where someone gets really, really, really smart and those people in every one of these movies do things like move objects with their brain power. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no. no. If you're smarter, you'll just solve problems faster or better. You're not going to all of a sudden start moving stuff. So, so where did this come from? Why do people think your brain could ever possibly have that power? Other than just, I'm really smart, so I can solve something you can't. Yeah, I think it's all predicated on this myth that we only use 10% of our brain. And like, imagine we can use all of our brain, the powers we would have. But that's a myth. No, the entire premise of the movie, Lucy. The exactly. entire premise of Or Limitless film. is another right. one. Um, you know, just take this pill and then you can use all your brain. Yeah, you use Idiocracy. all of your Idiocracy. <laughs> exactly. Um, you use all your brain and none of it is redundant. It uses so many resources, um, energy, blood flow. It, it, it. We don't waste those resources in in our body. Just thinking about evolution, but um, most of it is just happening outside of awareness. We're unconscious about what's happening, and sometimes we can, when we think about meditation and other techniques of, of mindfulness, we can bring more of what's happening unconsciously to our conscious attention. But it's not that we're using more of our brain. And I think with the like being able to move things or telepathy, I mean, this is just wishful thinking on the part of people. I mean, I remember laying in the bed with my daughter and I did not want to get up. She's like, please, mommy, get that book on the shelf. And I said, let me just, let's both try really hard and just will it over here so we don't have to get up. And oh. just, it didn't <laughs> yeah. work. It didn't work. And, and, if you, and if it had worked, You'd been like, all right, sweetie, and now you have to move out. Of <laughs> <laughs> no, rename her Tabitha. Yeah, Tabitha, yeah. you can't live here anymore. Matilda, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm. either. Okay, so Chuck, give me some questions from our fan base. All right, here we go. Let's uh, pop it off with Bridge. Bridge Karen or Charin says, have we gained any insight into the long-term effects of the brain uh, long-term effects the brain gets from misinformation pop culture, specifically during the pandemic. I think 
more pointedly, what are the effects of exposure to misinformation? Mm. Whether you live in a misinformation bubble or if you're just encountering misinformation that is counter to what uh, you already believe. Because that's, what, that's what's happening yeah, now. And, and let me uh, dovetail that. Can you ever emerge out of it? Mm. Right. Yeah. Yes. Very big question. How do we save these poor saps who are being duped all the time? <laughs> well, you know, there's there's a way of seeing the world and interacting with the world that I think, you know, as scientists learn early on, and it's just sort of like question everything, you know, be skeptical, look for evidence. Um, but when you're in these echo chambers and these bubbles, and especially when they're, they're on issues where they are emotionally significant, um, people tend to disconfirm what doesn't go along with their beliefs in terms of the evidence and and only pay attention to things that support what they already believe in. So the, the so it's very difficult to break this um, bias. It's a cognitive bias. Um, but what you the best way is that you have to meet a person where they're at. So say, oh, I hear you that you believe, I don't know, for example, that there's no such thing as, you know, climate change. Gravity. gravity, whatever. The earth is flat. <laughs> flat you know? earth. Right, right. 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 Mm-hmm. I hear you that you believe that, and I understand. And then sort of maybe even cite something that their evidence for that, that they, and then say, that's really interesting. But have you ever thought about this other thing? There's also this other evidence that suggests this. You have to, as soon as you come in in an, in an aggressive, controversial way, they're going to shut it out immediately. But if you meet people where they're at, empathize with their emotions and, okay, I hear you. You don't want to take vaccines. I know you're scared, you know, but let's talk about it and find a way in then maybe they'll be more open to hearing an alternative view. The way that people are doing it now isn't working. It's just like my side or you're crazy. And that that's never going to work. You know why? Because it's my side or you're crazy. <laughs> that's why it's that's, that's why that's, that's why it's that way. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, so Heather, this is a serious flaw in the human mind. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is, is, is there any understanding of its origins? Evolutionarily or otherwise, are are but well, there there's something called it, so with group affiliation, right? It you were safer yes, yes. when you were in groups, right? And so there's mm-hmm. also the higher the sort of um, entrance fee to get into the group, the greater the group affiliation. So if you think about like sororities and fraternities, how they have all these crazy things you have to do to get in. So once you're in. Yeah, you have protection of the group, whatever. But the psychology is that you've gone through so much to get into this group, you're more likely to be persuaded by their belief system and to want to keep that group affiliation because there are some evolutionary gains from that. There's protection. There's, you know, better survival in a group. So some of those group dynamics are also at play here. Um, You want to keep— Okay, so basically it's it's mis—we still have these tendencies at a time and a place where we no longer need them. And so we are suffering from our own evolutionary right. past. Yeah, and all, and so also true. we're living in a in this technology world now that our brains have not evolved quickly enough to to accommodate, right? Yeah. So our we have these old caveman brains, you know, in this modern technology with information being being bombarded by this information, um, and and we're not able to process it and really analyze it in a way that's that's going to be to our advantage. So I think this is part of the problem. Yeah. Also, the uh, what you just said is, you know, what exacerbates the problem is 
we can find those groups and that safety because of the technology, right, right. where otherwise we would have been ostracized and marginalized. And isolated. Because, yeah, yeah. because we felt that, you know, uh, I don't know, eating children was a good mm-hmm. thing, right? But then we go online and we find, like, other people who say, you know, children are delicious. Why shouldn't we eat them? And then all of a sudden, I I, I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm all Wait, right. Chuck, is that the right? best example you could have given in this? <laughs> 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 it is curious listen, listen. that that is where you, your <laughs> brain went to. Of all the examples you could have given. Okay. I'm just saying, I, uh, you know, I read Hansel and Gretel to my daughter the other day, and uh, it got me wondering. Every one of those stories, somebody, a chilled child gets eaten. Every one of Isn't those stories. Funny? Yeah. I'm sorry. At one point, eating kids was a thing, because guess what? A whole, all of these a stories, whole lot of those stories. All the stories end up with somebody got to eat a kid. <laughs> Peter and the Wolf, right? Exactly. Hansel and Gretel. Right. 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 Little Red Riding Hood. Little Red Riding Hood. Eating a kid. Hansel and Gretel. Eating a kid. Okay. Eating the kid. Go, Goldilocks. Goldilocks. Go. Goldilocks. Eating the kid. <laughs> Chuck is onto something. I'm pretty sure. I'm telling you, man. Eating the kid had to be a thing at some point. At some point in society, we said, you know what, man? We got to stop eating these kids. This is out of control, guys. <laughs> We can no longer mask it in our allegory and our children's horror stories. We just have to stop eating the kids. All right. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. Back to back to back to base. Okay. Chuck, give me another question. All right. Here we go. Oh, this is Catherine uh, Cellarini Moore says this. Hello, doctors and Chuck. Uh, <laughs> she missed your Lord episode, so that's all right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, as augmented reality and virtual reality uh, movies and gaming experiences become more mainstream, are we learning through scientific studies as, w- as to whether or not the brain processes AR, VR stories differently or the same as if we're watching a flat screen. Ooh. If so, what are the differences? Or if you're watching just reality, right? I mean, just put put, right. put that on the, on the list too. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, so really the differences are the level of engrossment. So the brain, it's dark in there. It's black. It doesn't actually see anything, right? And so all it is is getting stimuli coming in as ones and zeros, you know, from the retina, let's say, visual stimuli, and it's interpreting that information. So whether it's real life, whether it's, you know, on a flat screen, whether it's virtual reality, it's if you're fully attending to that information um, and, and not having, there's always another little part of your brain saying, oh, you're watching a movie or this isn't real. But once you kind of you know, that's when they say, you know, you go to a film and you suspend your disbelief, right? So once you're in the mode of suspending your disbelief, it all is the same. And virtual reality is just much more engrossing. But you can be as um, engrossed in a virtual reality as you are when you're watching a film on a big screen. It doesn't make a huge difference other than how, what is your ability to suspend your disbelief? And so that's the thing you're playing with. The more it becomes, um, it, more engrossed you are, the easier it is to forget that you're, you know, this is a simulation. So I just just for, just to put this on the table, mm-hmm. um, I'm old enough to remember Shari Lewis and her hand puppet, oh, yeah. Lamb Chop. 
at no time did I think Lamb Chop was real. <laughs> I could not spend my disbelief looking at a talking sock. Um, did you try? Was, it never worked try? for me at any age. No, I wasn't even going to try. It's like, no, I'm not doing this. Okay, but how about this? <laughs> did you watch Sesame Street? Well, maybe, I don't know how you made No, I'm too old for Sesame Street. Okay. My, my, wow. My sister watched it, yeah. Okay, you know, but okay, so Chuck, Sesame Street. But what about Sesame You know, when Street? you're watching Sesame Street, were you not feeling that maybe Oscar was a real character or Big Bird was a real Kermit the Frog? Or were you thinking, oh, that's just a puppet. There's some guy's hand controlling it. Okay, when I got older, I got better at that. And in fact, uh, was it Kermit? I was on stage once. Kermit the Frog. You met Kermit the Frog? <laughs> I think I met Kermit the Frog on stage. And while there, I totally blocked out the fact that there's a human being there with his hand and a stick, and and I was having it was just me and Kermit, and I think we we were we were doing good. It was the a good same thing. thing is, God, I want to meet Kermit the Frog. <laughs> You're so lucky. <laughs> just so I can say, it, it, you it, think it, it's hard being green? It ain't. It really? ain't easy being green. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you think that's not easy? Try being black. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You got it. You got it. But Chuck, really, it, Kermit? Chuck, it was allegory. Really? Chuck, you know it was allegory. <laughs> okay. Okay. <Go> on. <laughs> but <clears throat> um, the same thing is happening with these robots, these companions that they're creating now, right? So you know that you're right. interacting with, like they're your pet, or they're becoming. You know, we're we're anthropomorphizing these these robots, so the closer they can act and look and, and sound, and have facial expressions like a human you're going to forget that it's a robot and interact with it in that way. So it's the same thing, whether you're watching a film, interacting with an AI, the, the, the more realistic it is, the easier it is for you to forget that it's not reality. Now, how much does that have to do with the, your association from an early age? Like, I don't care how realistic you make a robot pet for me to, I'm just... It's never going to be a pet. It's going to be a robot to me. But I have a feeling that if you gave my eight-year-old daughter a robot, pet, anything, dog, cat, whatever, as she got older and became more, uh, how can I say, familiar with that as, a, as an actual thing, when she, you know, when it, it would just be nothing to have a robot mm -hmm. pet. Well, I, I think it's just a matter of what can fool you. I'm sure when you were a kid, whatever... Think, I don't know, they had like a Teddy Ruxpin or whatever they had then at that point, maybe was able to fool you, yeah. you know. I remember Teddy Ruxpin and yeah. I hated it. <laughs> no, 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 Chuck, I think, I think you're asking something different, I think. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one thing to say, I have this robot pet and I'm perfectly right. happy with it. It's another thing to have a robot pet and you think it's no longer a robot. So right. I think your daughter is not going to think the robot is ever real, but she'll be perfectly content with a robot pet. Just as an evolution of pets, I have a robot pet. And nothing. So it really isn't about your belief that it's I don't think it has to be that it's your belief that it's a pet. Yes, that's all. That it's uh, real, correct? That, or yeah, or that it's it's a real robot, just like a real, real mouse right. or I mean, a real. The, the real question that the deeper question I think is whether this thing has consciousness or not. And so when we start talking to like the Alexa, I mean, we start my kids talk to the Alexa like it's a person that has a conscious. Brain. Yes. There was a movie about that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And they ask her questions like, "Oh, well, she'll know. Like she, she knows everything." And you no, know, and I, and it's very hard to explain to a child. Well, this, this is not. This is just a, 
an algorithm. It's this not an actual to code. conscious person. But yeah, but they get confused. And so it has to do with earlier stages of but, development as well. But why does it matter? Why, why does it matter? It matters, I think, ethically. That's a philosophical question, really. Why does it matter? If, if I can't tell the difference, then who cares? I'll, I'll tell you why. Alexa's my because friend. If, if you, okay, tell me why after oh, the break, oh. then. We, we, Suspense. <laughs> Suspense. See what I did yes. there? Suspense. I'm trying to do a Hitchcock thing mm. here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to find out, does it matter if you know in advance something is real or fake? If it serves your needs and if it makes you happy, then what do you care if it's a robot? Or a human being. When we come back, Star Talk, your brain on movies. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. We're back, Star Talk, third and final segment of your brain on movies. We're doing cosmic queries here, and we, we left off with a thought. I basically I was challenging Heather with the thought that uh, if if your kids have Alexa and they think Alexa's real, but even if they don't think Alexa's real, Alexa knows more than any other human. So why does it matter to you whether they think Alexa's real or not? What difference does it make? So here, here's where I This see is their friend on the other side of a box. Here's the differentiation. I think that it matters um, because, well, it matters if it's real or not because it, it's how we treat it. So for example, if your you know, refrigerator is not conscious, um, it's okay to kick it or smash it or, or unplug it for Alexa, for example. But if it really, if you think it really has feelings and then you do things to it that, you know, smash it, shut it down, you know, that, that has ethical, there are more ethical considerations to that. So how you treat the thing, it matters. So, I mean, this is a case yeah. in which, you know, what, does it matter whether a child believes it's conscious or not? Well, yeah, because if it believes it's conscious and then it, you know, says, 
I hate you, Alexa, and it starts smashing it. It's a different scenario than if it does. Look out, mom. You're next. You know, then you know you have a psychopath (laughs) on your hands, right? Right. So, Mm -hmm. So how we treat these objects, whether they're conscious or whether they actually are have subjective experience or not matters, but it also matters in what we believe because that tells us about that that person. If a person is is negative to something they believe is conscious, then we have to say this person might have some psychopathic tendencies. So there are some reasons. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Good answer. Good okay. answer there. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. All right, Chuck, keep it going. This is our last segment. Alexa, you're safe for another day. Um, <laughs> this is Alejandro Reynoso from Monterrey, Mexico. <laughs> he says... Hello, or should I say, hola. Hola. <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this in the way I think Alejandro sounds. He says, <laughs> how do you says, know what that man sounds? Says, Please, tell me. <laughs> Stop. Alejandro, tell me more. This is the best representation you have ever seen of mental illness in a movie or a series. And by that, I mean... The closest to reality. Ooh, mm. Alejandro. I'm- okay, so Heather, what do you have there? There's so many. Well, one of the, just one of the caveats is that uh, it, when it's not done right, they show mental illness as just being this like stable thing, this trait. Once you have it, you're this person. But a lot of the time, mental illness, it, it, the severity can ebb and flow throughout a lifetime. So you might have OCD, you might have a really bad episode, then you get better for a while, and then it's bad again. So, so some of the films that do it well, um, certainly A Beautiful Mind, um, portrayal of John Nash, because it... The films where they allow you to actually get inside the head of somebody who's experiencing mental illness to feel what it might feel like. Um, Birdman, that was with Michael Keaton, um, oh, which was another one where they take you into his mind and you're almost there with them and see what this might experience, what it might feel like to have hallucinations and delusions and how you can easily slip from reality into these 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 delusions. Um, and, and was it The Grandfather, the recent film that came out during COVID? Yeah, with Alzheimer's. Was uh, that... With Alzheimer's, and I think its twist on a typical story was that the he sees, is it his wife? Someone comes in twice, but he doesn't recognize her as his wife, but it's played by a completely different actress. Uh, oh, I haven't seen this. So yeah, you, you experience what he ex- Brilliant. That's a brilliant Co- mechanism. You are now in this man's head. Yeah. You were, and it's who are you? I don't get out of here. I don't know who I you mean, are. That's, that's right. Wild. The other Memento was a film from a while back about memory, oh. memory issues, and you're trying to experience it the way he's experiencing it. You don't know what's happening either. You're kind of lost. And um, isn't so that I, a real? Isn't that a real condition, by the way? That that where yeah. you just you. You have, but you do have long-term memory, but you have zero short-term memory, right? It's called like a dissociative fugue. It's when you you go into these fugue states where you you just forget completely who you are and and where you're from, and um, yeah. So that is that. So those, some of those films which drag you in, Pie, which was another one that was a Darren Aronofsky film um, from a while back. Um, so those films that bring you in, um, even The Shining, you know, where you're ex- Pie. You mean the Life of Pie? Li- no, no, no. There was a. Film, I think it was in the 1990s called Pi. Just called Pi. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh-huh. And it was a Darren Aronofsky sequel. Film. The sequel, uh, Apple Pie, and then there was another sequel. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think that. I don't think those are real sequels. Um, <laughs> I never heard. Of Pi. It, I'm sorry. <laughs> there's so many. So those films that really bring you in, um, but other ones, you know, that like dissociative identity disorder or split personality disorder, Black Swan, Natalie Portman. I think she got an Oscar for for playing that role. 
um, where she, it was actually her, it was two actresses. It was her and Mila Kunis. Mila, Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis. She played oh, this other character the whole time. You think it's two different characters or Fight Club, same thing. You think it's two different characters, but you're really, it's this one, you know, Brad Pitt. And Mila Kunis is the voice of Meg on Family Guy. Well, then it's a, it's a perfect circle. Okay. It's a perfect, it all makes sense. <laughs> 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 One I, that I always cite in my classes for an example of borderline personality disorder is Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction. It's a movie from the 80s. And um, it's yeah, such a, it's ex, it's an extreme portrayal, but of, of, of borderline personality disorder. Also, Girl Interrupted is another good one. There's so many, so many. Yeah. Oh, I know Girl Interrupted. That one was good. That was Angelina Jolie. Yeah, that had an early Angelina Jolie was in that. Yeah. But not as the star. She was a side, a side character. No, no, right. Are you, are you sure? Did you get your two movies right? Uh, I thought Fatal Attraction had the other woman in it. There were two similar movies. Glenn Close. Glenn, it was Glenn, Glenn Close. And Fatal Attraction. Attraction. Are you sure about that? Okay, then there's another movie uh, with, um, what's her name? Which she crosses her legs in front of yes. the Oh, Sharon camera. Stone. That's Basic Instinct. Sharon Stone. And that's that was another basic one of those. Instinct. Basic Instinct. Weren't those like the same movie, basically? Mm, different. They were different. Okay. <laughs> but. Yeah. Ah, that was polite of you. <laughs> They're the same, but different. Right, okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, Silver Linings Playbook is a more recent one that was portraying um, bipolar. Uh, it was with Bradley Cooper and. Bradley Cooper um, and um, uh, 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 Katniss, Katniss Everdeen. It was Bradley yes. Cooper and Katniss Everdeen. Katniss Everdeen. Yes. Who's yeah, whatever amazing. Her real name is Jennifer something. Lawrence. Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence yes. Jennifer Lawrence. Thank you. Yeah. So these are all. If you so which one of these are the best? Would you say the be the best? What portrayal of mental illness? Yeah. Yeah. Would you say? Mm. You want me to pick one? Um. Uh, uh, that's too difficult. Um. Yeah. I really. I really like. I'll pick one. Okay. I'll pick one. I just read Flowers for Algernon, and I went out and saw the movie Charlie with Cliff Robertson, and I was very moved by that. Where he's they he's um, <clears throat> mentally disabled, and they have a test serum that they give him where he becomes really smart, and you slowly watch him get smarter and smarter and smarter, and then he gets smarter than all of the friends who used to make fun of him for how non-smart he was, and then they no longer want to be his friend, and then the serum wears off, and then he goes back to the way he was. Oh my gosh! And it was um, very, and he won an Academy Award for that. I'm pretty sure. Wow. Okay. Oh, that yeah. sounds Char cool. Charlie, it's basically based on the Flowers for Algernon story. Okay. Huh. I'll tell you one really yeah. good one that's, that portrays addiction is um, Requiem for a Dream. It's really disturbing, um, but it, it portrays addiction very, very well. You know, there's so many good films. I might have to, yeah, it's too difficult. One flew over the coop. But, but getting nasty. back to your earlier point, the better ones would get you inside yes. their head. Well, a beautiful so that you mind could completely empathize. A beautiful mind stands out to me because you really I, I always, you know, I've worked with patients with schizophrenia and I could never understand like how do they and, and that sort of allowed me to have insight into what it might feel like to be a intelligent, otherwise, you know, functioning person, but be plagued by these these delusions and how easily you can slip into them. And so that for me was really um, a moving film. All right, so let's see, slip in a couple fast oh, ones, go. Uh, Mikael, Mikael Boivert, who says, says, hey guys, it's Mikael Bo from Canada here in Shutter Island. The main character thinks he's a hero investigating a case of psychiatric hospital. At the end, we figure out he was the killer and the psychiatrist made up the sto story to set up uh, his therapy. My question, can you really convince wow. and hold someone into a living, happy dream for their entire life? 
From that standpoint of a mourning family, would a person that has no self-awareness to be put in jail be a fair thing to do if he's living peacefully in a dream and will never regret or know his actions? Dude, you just got super deep with, damn. Wow. I mean, well, here's the first thing. Let's answer the first question. Would that be acceptable therapy to put somebody inside of their own living dream? In other words, to massage their delusion to the point where they are living that delusion. Well, I mean, I don't think that would be legal. Um, I don't think, you know. Plus, you're ridding them of their accountability for their wrongdoings. Yeah, I mean, there's so many, there's so many levels there. I mean, this is the thing. If you don't know of anything else, then that whatever you're living in is is the, your reality, right? Like it's the matrix. It's, it's the matrix. matrix. Yeah. And 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 it and it goes for you know I've seen this with you know in, in in unfortunate cases with children who have been in like abusive situations at home and and they think that that's normal. That's all they know. So they're not even that. Sometimes aren't as upset about it until they see what else alternative exists. You don't know what you're, you don't, you can't, you need a comparison, right? So if you were in your whole life living in a delusional, you know, simulated world, you would never know the difference. But until it's just like, yeah, it's just like living in the matrix. Um, would that be a suitable, I'm a little confused because I haven't seen the movie um, treatment, but, you know, that's what they did to, I think it was in Minority Report when, report when they jail people, they just like stick you in this thing and put a thing on your head. And I think then you're just living in a kind of, virtual reality world or something for, yes. for yes. that's your imprisonment. Right. You're just suspended there. Yeah. You're suspended yeah. in basically a dream, basically. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, they lock you like in dream. But what I love in terms of therapy, one of the films also that I love is Inception because they're in their dream. It's actually how things work. They, they go back deep into the unconscious and they plant a seed. And that seed then germinates and changes ultimately the character's behavior that they're trying to, you know, change. And so the idea of right, actually getting right. into someone's unconscious and planting a little, a little bit of information, a little seed, and letting them so they make a, de- a, a life changing decision that's better for them yes, or different yes. later on. And that yeah. that's what therapy, a lot of therapy is. You just sort of say, oh, what about this? Have you ever that's thought about exactly it this way? Right. And then you just let right. them create their own and then change their behavior on their own. Wow. Um, Look at that. Yeah, so. All right. right, Chuck, one one more more. question. It's got to be fast. Got to be fast. fast. And this is a great one. This is Lydia, and she says, Hello to all. My friend Naomi, who is doing her master's in neuroscience, is wondering if movies could be a very good treatment for depressed people. Also, if movies could give a good amount of dopamine, just like getting rewards. Uh, Mm. My kind regards, Lydia. And we answer back, dearest Lydia. No, okay, go ahead. <laughs> My dearest Lydia, thank you for your letter. Um, I, I, I think yes. So, so humor is really something that does release dopamine in the brain. And Chuck doesn't know anything about humor. Let me tell you, Chuck. Give Chuck, Chuck some schooling, 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 school, Chuck school, here. Humor. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about humor, Chuck. Um, it no, it it releases dopamine in the brain, and 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 it can be a very um, useful. You know, first of all, it's a useful defense mechanism. Sometimes when people are in pain, they use humor. Um, to deflect, but but it's one of the positive defense mechanisms. So, um, but but getting in, losing yourself into another person's story is a good way. It's it's a form of like healthy dissociation in a way. So if you're ruminating over your problems, you just can't get out of your own head. 
if you can get engrossed in a film that's maybe with, you know, a positive theme and um, something, you know, that's happy or funny, it, it can actually help change your brain in a way. And not, you know, if you're in a very deep, deep depression, it's a neurochemical imbalance, maybe not so much, but if you're just feeling a little bit down, you know, if you, and I'm sure we've all had that experience of you watch something that moves you and it shifts, it shifts how you're feeling you know, for the rest of the day. Yeah, but, okay, but Heather, if I'm depressed, do I benefit from seeing people who are more depressed than I am? And I say, yeah, I guess I don't have it that bad. Or do I see people who are happy and then I aspire to that? I mean, it seems like you can argue it both ways, right? It's a very good question. I mean, studies show, so there's there's this thing, it's called upward comparison and downward comparison. And so they find that people are happier in general when they compare down. So they say, uh, you know, look at people who are worse off than them. And then they feel better. So if you're if you're having a problem in your life right now, you say, but wait, look at those people in the Ukraine right now. Like they're really suffering. So right. put your problems in perspective, you'll feel a little bit better about your life. But if you're comparing yourself to, I don't know, Richard Branson or somebody who has their own island and yacht, and you know, you might feel a little bit bad about your current position in life. So so in not general, Jeff Bezos, I mean, which makes him the saddest man in the world. <laughs> because even though he's worth more money than anybody, you look at him and go, I don't want to be that a-hole. <laughs> but his ex-wife, on the other hand, she's someone I'd like to be. Um, but <laughs> So black, black people have a famously low suicide rate relative to white people. And Red Fox once remarked about that. He said, it's hard to kill yourself jumping out of the basement window. <laughs> That is hilarious. <laughs> Guys, we gotta, we got to land this plane. Uh, Heather, thanks for giving us some insights here. It's all valuable. And this is an unending subject. We're going to have to do this again. Yes. Because I'm sure, I'm sure we didn't get through all the questions, Chuck. No, so here. we will have to do this again. It'll have to be um, your, your Brain on Movies, the sequel. Mm -hmm. How's, how about that? Mm -hmm. Nicely <laughs> okay. done, sir. Yeah. You see how I played that? <laughs> I guess you there. All right. Chuck Nice, co-host Heather Berlin, our favorite a neuroscientist. Neil deGrasse Tyson, you're a personal astrophysicist. Keep looking out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions.